Well, good morning to you. Um, I want to start with a question here for you today. Easy question to answer. How many of you like to go out to eat? All right. A lot of you do. In fact, at least some point during the sermon, that's probably going to cross your mind. What's for lunch, right? Well, anyway, I, I, that's all right. I know how it is. I know how it is. Well, here's one of the things we've said about going out to eat. If you're going to go out to eat, and if you're going to pray before your meal, tip well. We've talked about that before, right? There's a lot of reasons for that. If you're going to pray before you eat and you go out to eat, tip well. Here's something else I want to add to that list. If you go out to eat and you pray before your meal, be kind to your server. You'd think that would go without saying in a church, wouldn't you? You'd think so. Amen. Amen. You'd think that would go without saying. I remember I was at a conference once. And the irony here is the point of this conference was to equip church leaders to do a better job of reaching out. That was the point of this conference. It was in Chicago. And I'm there at this conference with other church leaders, and there was a lunch break. So I went from this conference with church leaders about how to be a better witness to your community. We went to lunch. As soon as the server left our table, they start ripping on the server. And, and, and I was just shaking my head. I mean, I have enough blind spots with myself. You know, so this isn't me saying, oh, just, you know, look at, look at my example and everything. But this is, this is one where we need to challenge each other more on. We live in this culture, whether it's your server or whoever, we live in this culture where we're so quick to appoint ourselves as judge. We pick up our proverbial gavel and we see something that, that we don't like or, or it's not the way we think it should be. And it's, hey, you know, you did that wrong. Hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. You know, we're so quick to just jump right in to judgment. And, and we often do that without even a minimum understanding of the story or the facts. And because we live in a culture of commentary, what we often do is, is we don't just render judgment in our heads. We don't just say a snide remark to our server. You know, you pull out your phone, at Chili's, worst server ever, you know. And then you put little, what are those things called with the little faces and stuff or whatever? Those things, you know, you put those on your deal and, 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 and you send it off to the world. You know, if you feel the need to pass judgment on somebody, you know, this is what this series is about. We started a series a couple weeks ago. If you're going to pass judgment on someone, do it well. Do it well. Two weeks ago when we opened up this series, we, we talked about the importance of if you're going to pass judgment, what's your standard? Find a standard before you pass judgment. And then the week after that, we said, you know, okay, now if you've got a standard and you feel as though they don't measure up to that standard, before you even open your mouth, before you even open your mouth, look at yourself first. Are there some things that you should be working on? Some information that you should gather? Something like that. What should, is there anything you should work on yourself before you point fingers at others? That's what we talked about last week. Well, this week... We're going to try to talk about two things. And I, I made the mistake of trying to do too much in one week. I know we'll do the best we can to hit both of these things. Before you slam down your gavel, before you start spouting off your judgment or even forming that strong opinion, here are the two things I want to challenge us to from the scriptures today. One, don't do that before you know the facts. That's the first thing we'll talk about. And then number two, if it's not your job to judge, don't. Those are the two things we're going to look at today. All right, well, let's go back as we talk about this. Let's look, go back to our server example. Before you hit send on worst server ever, hit pause. Hit pause. 
Think about this. In, in this situation, this is just one example. We could pick all kinds of things. But with the server example, let's just say that person who you think is the worst server ever, let's just say you found out that that server had actually, they were done with their shift. And their manager came to them and said, hey, we had two people cancel. Could you stick around? And that server said, you know what? I'm tired, but I'll do that. And they're not just covering someone else's shift. They're covering two more shifts. They're doing you a favor. And here you are judging them because your water didn't get filled up quick enough, you know? Would that make a difference if you knew that? Yeah. Or let's say your server just seems a little bit off. You know, she's, she's a young woman and she just seems like she's not as attentive. What if you found out, and this happens all the time, what if you found out she had just had a scary experience with one of the customers? And he said or did something that just rightfully upset her. Would that affect your judgment before your worst server ever? You know? Or this has happened before too. What if he, your server, what if he had just gotten a call on his break and it was that news that he just didn't want to hear? And now he's just trying to do the best job he can to hold it together till my shift's done. Would that affect your opinion? You know, if you knew more, you'd probably want to give some of these people a medal. If you knew the story about that single mom who is just, she's doing the best she can to just hold things together because her husband left. And she's trying to put food on the table. You know, if we knew the story instead of just our snide little remarks, maybe it isn't just a simple case of worst server ever. Maybe there's more to the story. You know, you could be right. It could be very simple or it could be something else. I know I'm coming on strong here early and maybe it's just my cold medicine, you know. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's more than that. I think I'm under the influence of scriptural imperatives like this one. This is, what, this is an example of what it says in the scripture. The scripture says a lot when it comes to speaking into the lives of others. Here's one of the things it says. Don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. Don't just judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. It is a whole lot easier and it's a whole lot more fun at parties to just react. To just open your mouth and let judgments flow like F-bombs in a Martin Scorsese film. It's so much easier, right? Just... Let it go. Just judge people. A lot more fun. But disciples of Jesus Christ were held to a higher standard. Our master taught us. He taught us to act differently as individuals and also as a group. He taught us differently. He said, judge differently. And if you're going to judge, judge well. So let's continue the series by continuing to press in. What does that look like? I mentioned we're going to zero in on two related teachings today. The first one is this. Don't render judgment before you know the facts. And the second one that we'll get to later, don't render judgment when it's not your call to make. All right, so let's start with number one. There's a place to write these things in your notes. You know, we'll start here. Don't render judgment before you have the facts. Will you ever have all the facts? No, but at least gather some information. And related to that, here's an important uh, teaching. Insiders, or important reminder, I guess I should say, insiders know things that outsiders don't. Keep that in mind. When, when you're about to speak into something, stop for just a second and say, wait a minute, am I coming as an insider or an outsider? Because if I'm an outsider looking in, there's some things that I just don't know. There may be more to see than what you see. One of my favorite quotes of all time, I love this quote. I love it so much I put it in your notes. It's going to be familiar to a number of you. Um, it's by Teddy Roosevelt. Love this quote. Take a look at it. It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man, it's not the woman who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, 
who strives valiantly, who errors, who comes up short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if they fail, at least they fail while daring greatly, so that their place will never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Can I get an amen from anyone who's ever been in the game and someone on the sidelines is all, oh, this is what you should have done. Can I get an amen from our teachers on this? Amen. Can I get an amen from our coaches on this? Amen. How about those who serve in retail? Can I get an amen? Amen. We have a stand-up comedian. I don't see him here today, but I bet he would give an amen on that one. You try getting up here. Supervisors, CEOs, can I get an amen to this? Amen. In fact, I think there should actually be laws against ripping into single moms. Amen? Amen. And if you ever worked fast food, if you ever had one of those nights, you're 10 minutes from close, they send everybody home, Except cashier and grill guy, sophomore grill guy, high school busload of football players comes in, 10 minutes to close. It's just cashier and sophomore grill guy Chris at McDonald's in 1985. (laughs) You know? Don't you be judging my Big Macs in that situation. I'm doing the best that I can. All right, here's the biblical principle. This is not just good advice. This is scriptural imperative stuff. Here's a, a verse we gave you a sneak preview of this last week. What do I have to do without judging outsiders? What do I have to do with judging an outsider? You know, there, there's certain things as an outsider looking in that we just don't know. Or they might be having a different standard that they're judging themselves by. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? You know, last week, if you were an outsider and you're visiting us for the first time, you may not have known that in our kids' team, they had to cover for seven people that couldn't make it. They did a great job. You might not have known with our worship band that we had someone just step up at the last minute to help us out with drums. They did a great job. You might have not have known that the person that normally does our slides went home sick, and we had people step up to just jump right in. You know, behind the scenes, we're all like, woohoo! You know, because we know what was going on and all the things that it took to make something happen. And if you don't know that, if you're on the outside looking in, be really slow to assume that you know how things are. And whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, an outsider doesn't have a clue what's going on behind the scenes. And the outsider, they can just slip into that role of critic. Here's what you should do. Here's what you could have done better. Well, outsider... Roll up your sleeves. Give this a shot. You try to cook for all those hungry football players. And we'll see how how you feel about things. Still bitter about that, by the way. (laughs) If you hadn't noticed. Prayer team's available. (laughs) Cheaper than therapy. All right, here we go. So, now, here's another thing, though. I want to bring an important nuance. Important nuance here. It's important to point out that insiders now, just because you're an insider, that doesn't give you permission to just rip on other insiders, right? This is important. You wouldn't think you'd have to point this one out either. But insiders do not have permission to just rip into other insiders, at least not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're going to sing that song, singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, you can't just, that doesn't give permission. 
gripping insiders, because here's what the scripture teaches to us. Here's an example of this. If you have your Bibles, let's open to this one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And there's a reason I want you to open to it. Um, take a look at this. Galatians chapter 6, says, verse 1 says this. And it's speaking to insiders. Hey, insiders, if you notice something with another insider, here's, here's how you behave. Brothers, sisters, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, I, I bring our attention here is because some people... They act all spiritual without even stopping to think, what does spiritual mean? Spiritual does not mean you have the gift of grumpiness. That, that is not spirituality. There is no gift, spiritual gift of grumpiness or cynicism. As much as I wish I could call my natural cynicism tendencies a gift. No, it's not. When, when, you, when you think about the spiritual piece, when he says who is spiritual in there, the one who is spiritual should restore them. Spiritual is not defined by how many hymns you know by heart. Spiritual is not defined by how good you are at Bible trivia. Spiritual is not defined by how quickly you can identify a rule violation. How is spiritual defined in the context right with this scripture? That's why I asked you to open up take a look right ahead of it. This is, these are the words leading up to this part about, hey, spiritual people, be gentle. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit, hey, spiritual person, the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, it's joy, it's peace. It's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So, do we have permission to just rip into each other? No, we don't have permission to just rip into each other. Those who are spiritual, if you're going to pass judgment on another, do it with gentleness, do it with tact, among other things that we've been teaching here. All right, so the Bible teaches, and experience validates... Be extremely slow to judge outsiders. And the Bible also teaches that being an insider does not give you permission to be mean to other insiders. Now, here's another related teaching to this idea of insider-outsider. Not only do insiders know things that outsiders don't, an important thing to also know is outsiders can sometimes see things that insiders miss. You catch that? So, if you're an insider... You should not just be saying, hey, you're an outsider. you got nothing to say to me. Not if you're wise. You don't do that. Do insiders always know best? Nope. Do outsiders sometimes have valuable insights? Yes. Only a foolish person or a cult leader or the president of North Korea refuses to receive input from outsiders. All right, so let's, let's press in this a little bit. Number, number three and four. Let's put them both up at the same time. So... If, if you're an insider, it's important to hear from outsiders because wise insiders, they're going to seek objective feedback. How many of you know you can be too close to something? Too close to something. You know, think if you fall in love, you fall into stupid, right? You need to have people that can speak into you. I've seen a lot of nods on that one. A lot of nods. You need people from the outside and nobody who's in love who's nodding their head. It's all the, uh, right, the people who get in the outside. You know, right, you, you, you. You need people from the outside. Sometimes you can be too close to something. You need wise people from the outside to also give their opinions on things as well. That's so important, so important. If you're a wise person, you ask for input from wise, trusted sources that are on the outside. In your family, in your marriage, if you have a business, if you've got a business, you want to have wise consultants come in and give you an objective uh, understanding of things. 
if you're wise, you know that you can sometimes be too close to something to be objective. So wise insiders seek objective feedback. They ask an outsider, give me some judgment. Give me some judgment. Learn the facts, learn about us, and then bring it. I want to hear it. All right, and then that number four up there, this is so important too, another nuance. This is not a simplistic teaching. Caring outsiders weigh permission and urgency. Caring outsiders weigh permission and urgency. I've said this before. The name Satan means accuser. And the accuser would love to push you too far in the right direction. As you start to say, I need to be slow to judge, he'll say, you never judge anybody, anytime ever. I would disagree, and I think all of you would disagree to that. Here's my chart, my handy-dandy little chart. I know it's really hard to see, so I'll do the best I can to, to explain what it is. I've got uh, two of these axes. Is that axi? <laughs> axes? Axes? <laughs> I was a substitute teacher, huh? <laughs> all right. That's why I was a substitute teacher. All right. So we've got the two axes. We have one axis here that's about urgency. The higher you go up this line, the more urgent something is. At the bottom of this line, it's no big deal. I've got an opinion that I want to tell you, but it's no big deal. You know, I think the other sweater looks better on you or something like that. It's just that I've got, it's a no big deal thing. On the top of this, it is a watch out. There's something flying at your head. Duck now. This is urgent. This is big deal. Okay? No urgency, urgency. Now, on the bottom axis, we have permission. And this one's a negative sense where on this side here, this is earn the right to be heard. All right, down here. This is before you say anything, earn the right to be heard. You, you, work, you know the person. You have permission to speak in their life. That's on this side. On this end of the continuum, it's say something now. Just blurt it out if you have to. Okay? I would argue. As urgency goes up, seeking permission goes down. That a caring person, if you are a caring person, and you see someone and they're texting and they're about to step in front of a bus, does a caring person say, well, you know, I really don't have a relationship with that person. Who am I to say anything? Who am I to judge? You know, no, a caring person says, hey, watch out, here comes a bus, right? So, so you have to weigh these things out. If there's not urgency, earn the right to be heard. If there's a big threat that they're oblivious to and it's urgent, a caring person would speak into that. So I think that's an important nuance in this idea of, uh, of speaking in to the lives of others. Earn the right to be heard whenever possible, but there are times when the right thing to do is to speak up with as much respect and as much tact as time allows. All right. Before we move on, because we're going to now move on to that second section, let's just recap where we've been so far. The scripture says, don't judge by appearances, judge with right judgment. Here are some things you can do in that, uh, or ways to apply that. Remember that insiders know some things that outsiders don't. Also remember that outsiders sometimes see things that insiders miss. Related to that, a wise insider, if you're a wise insider, you're going to seek outside perspective. And then remember this also, a caring outsider is going to weigh permission with urgency. All right, so, so there's one section. The other thing I want to talk about today is this, this principle of delegated authority. And in a nutshell, the principle of delegated authority is this. If it's your job to judge, then judge well. If it's not your job to judge, be really, really slow to judge. In fact, you could write this down. I encourage you actually to do this in your notes. 
be extremely slow to render judgment when it's not your job to judge. Once again, this is a principle that comes from Scripture. And as someone who tends to form opinions very, very quickly, here's a a passage that I, I remind myself of a lot. I bet every week I remind myself of this passage. <laughs> Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before their own master that they stand or fall. Key teaching from Romans 14.4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before their own master that they stand or fall. If you're not the teacher, if you're not the coach, if you're not the manager, if you aren't the CEO, if no one has delegated you authority in a particular area that you're about to judge, be very, very careful. That's not to say never judge. It's to say be very, very careful if nobody has delegated authority to you. The universe itself seems to rebel against those who overstep authority. And you know this. If you are in a situation where you have peers, you're all peers, and they're acting like they have authority over you, isn't there something in you that says, this isn't right. And, and, and if you're in a situation where, where, where someone who reports to somebody, you know, is acting like they're in authority over that person, that doesn't go well. You know, there's this idea of delegated authority, and the universe itself seems to rebel against those who overstep it. Here's an example from the scriptures. Uh, a man named Moses. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a, a character that you, you probably have at least heard of before, perhaps. Um, he's a person who had the whole Ten Commandments deal going on. This is before that. Before he got that type of authority, take a look at this account. He grew up, Moses actually grew up in Pharaoh's court, the Pharaoh of Egypt's court. And one day, we read in Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 14, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them in their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian being a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way, see no one, he killed the Egyptian, he hit him in the sand. The next day he went out, he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, hey, who made you ruler, judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me because you killed the Egyptian? Moses, he overstepped his authority. And there was a backlash. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Because Pharaoh never said, you can go out and kill other Egyptians. You don't have that authority. You don't have the authority to judge them in that way. And now, these Hebrew people, at this point, Moses didn't have the authority from God that he would later have. And so now he's overstepping his authority. He's coming in. He's trying to arbitrate. He's trying to judge against these people. And there's a backlash against that. One of the things we're we're trying to do as a people is to try to do this well. Because we see so many examples in our culture where it's done poorly. Again, this is not a teaching on unquestioned response to authority. There should be questioning, but it should be done the right way. If a teacher, if a teacher violates a law or a school policy, now there's a problem. You have a standard. You can speak into that because they've stepped outside of their authority. If, on the other hand, this fits with school policy and it's just the way they do their classroom... Now you come in real cautious with your opinion and share it with gentleness and respect. If a politician, if a politician breaks one of their promises, if they ignore the law, if they ignore the Constitution, that's in a different category 
than a, than a disagreement about policy. In one, now you've got a standard, and you can judge they've overstepped their authority. On the other, it's your opinion. And you try to rally other people to try to get people to, to vote the way you want to vote. You see how this is different? The, the principle of not overstepping your authority. And we, we do work hard as a church to do this. Really, really hard. Because we talk a lot about the individual piece of judgment, but there's also a corporate piece. The Greek word for church is a, word, a Greek word called ekklesia. And it's a word that doesn't refer to a building. It's actually a word that, that had a secular origin. It just means gathering. It means assembly. And so they took this word, the, the early Christians, they took this word, and they said, when you gather, when you assemble, and then they would provide instructions around that. Here's how you should look when you're together. And the way we should look is different. The Bible does provide explicit teaching when it comes to authority. And look at how it's nuanced. Look at how, how this is. Here's, here's an example, Hebrews uh, 13.7. And I just want to tell you, in case you're getting nervous here, when you see a word like leader and submit, I, it's not going, hey, you blindly listen to what we say. You wouldn't do that anyway, you know? <laughs> so I don't even know why I need to say that, unless you're new here. Um, so, but, but there's a nuance. Take a look at this. Hebrews 13.7, talking about these assemblies, talking about when, when we are gathering together as God's people. Okay, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Should we honor decisions made by church leaders? Well, the answer is yes, if. It's not just a yes, it's a yes, if. Have they overstepped their authority? When they start overstepping their authority, then it's not a yes. It's a, excuse me, you've overstepped your authority. If proper authority has been delegated to make a decision, okay. But if they overstep their authority, again, there's, there's problems here. If they go beyond the authority delegated to them through a church constitution, if they go beyond the authority delegated to them in their job description, and certainly if they go beyond what the scripture says, then the right thing to do is to put that hand up. Here's, here's an example of what it says in the scripture. We, here's some of the reasons why you don't want to be a church leader unless God called you to. For as an overseer, as God's steward, you must be above approach. You must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. You must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that you will be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. There's a number of passages like this where the bar is high, extremely high, and every church, I believe, should have some kind of structure in place to ensure that every member is under authority and every church leader is also under authority. Now, I'm into drawing here today. Uh, this is a chart that if you are went to our last uh, church member class, you actually saw this chart. If not, this might be new to, to some of you. Here's how we try to do this well at our church. How we try to say, let's... Let's have everyone under authority and every, yeah, everyone actually under authority and everyone delegating authority. And what we have here is we have a group up at the top on this chart that says members, people who have said, that's it, we're in. We're a part of this family. We're a part of this assembly. We also have a category here of the, the uh, leadership of the church of elders and the senior pastor. That's a special kind of grouping here. 
We also have a grouping called directors. What that is is that's our staff that meets on Mondays and, and we get together and we, we collaborate across departmental lines. And then there's the individual groups, individual teams. You know, it's, it, it can be extremely specialized. It could be something like Team World Vision. It can be a small group. It can be a hospitality team. It, it, they take all kinds of different forms. And at our church, what we want to say is we ask everybody to be under authority. So in our church, according to our constitution, our members have authority. What you're going to see at our church, we don't have a top-down. We don't have a flow chart where there's somebody at the top. No one's at the top. You know, we look to, to Christ. You'll see that in a bit. So members delegate authority you know, and, and have authority to over, over this group here. Now, they also, you know, have, there's accountability both ways. They're delegating authority. There's also authority to speak back into their members. And the same thing here. There's delegation of authority. And then this group also speaks back here. And so what we have is we have everyone under authority and everyone delegating authority. Because individual teams are going to know more about their individual plans and purposes than this group. But this group also has a vantage point that they don't have. And so we're all working together. And what else I like about this is in, in our model, we have everyone looking to Christ. There's a whole lot of different ways to do assemblies right, Christian assemblies right. One way to do them wrong is to have some kind of group here that says, we look to Jesus, and then we tell you what he says. That's just dangerous stuff right there, isn't it? So, for us, we like this. We like that everyone's looking to the cross, everyone's looking to the scriptures, everyone's seeking God on this, but everyone's under authority. And a couple other things here. If you've got a grumpy person who's on the outside, and they just don't like things, and they're pointing fingers, well... It's easy to do if you're on the outside and you're not under authority. And you don't have someone speaking into your life. You know, if, if we do something like this, then, then everyone has somebody that's speaking into their life. You have permission somewhere to have somebody speaking into you. And so I like that about, about this model. Now let, me, let me give you a real practical example here of how, how this works out too. Here, as far as affecting our witness. At the community center, there's people here that work really, really hard. I can't imagine what it would be like to be on a staff of an organization like this. Because everybody that comes here, they, they come with their gavel. Hey, it's too hot. Hey, it's too cold. Hey, turn up the water temperature. Hey, the water's too hot. You know, um, hey, we need more treadmills. Hey, why do you got so many treadmills? Hey, we need to build a bigger kid land. Hey, we need to big, uh, build a bigger gym. Take down the kid land. You know, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And so that's, that's their life, you know? They're, they do the best they can to try to serve the community. So then a group like ours comes in. On any given Sunday, roughly 400 people come in. And what if we come in as 400 individuals? Hey, hey, here's what I need. Here's what I want. And we're all floating the desk down there. We just look like everybody else. That's just typical American, you know, way of thinking. What if we try to be more of a family and take something like temperature? Real example here. Let's say you come in and, and you think, you know, it feels a little cold in here. I'm going to go down to the front desk. I'm going to tell them to turn up the thermostat. Well, you could. You could be like everyone else. Or you could say, wait a minute. Is there somebody at our church that has a relationship with the community center? Maybe before I go down to the front desk, maybe I want to just gather some more information. So you start asking around. Well, you start asking around. Here's what we tell you. We tell you that, you know, that is a real issue. Sometimes people come in and they're too cold. Sometimes they come in and they're too warm. And then you'd also start to realize, oh, we've had discussions. Well, there's what it feels like here, 
but there's also what it feels like with the kids or what it feels like the lobby. Oh, and you also find out that we're not the only ones in this building. And that affects other people too. And so they have issues that they're trying to, to balance out. They're trying to say, what about the athletes who are, who are doing their, their workouts? What about the people who are coming in to go, you know, swim, all this kind of stuff? The other thing you might not know is that for them, they don't have just a thermostat you can turn up like this. There's only a couple people in their whole system that even know how to do it. It's a complicated online deal. And so they have to go on electronic, and they have to go on computerized, and they have to set all of the, 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 the temperature. And then it's bigger than that, too, because the temperature, the way it works, it's, it's a complicated system, and, and there's a range of temperatures. So the heat doesn't kick on until it's a little on the cold side. You know, and the air conditioning doesn't kick on until it's on the warm side. So it's, it's, there's going to be this spectrum. And, and that's really hard to measure because it depends how many people are in here and all these different types of things. My point being this, my point is not to, to rip on someone who goes downstairs. My point is this. What if we were different? What if instead of 400 different people who all have their gavels and were so quick to say what you should do, Shoreview Community Center, is turn up the temperature. What you should do, Shoreview Community Center, is turn down the temperature. What if instead we just set down that gavel as a family and we just had some discussions and we said, you know what, are there a whole lot of people that are feeling that way? Is, it, is, it, is the temperature too cold? Is the temperature too warm? Well, if so, then, who knows the community center best? Who's in relationship with them? I talk to them regularly. Jill talks to them regularly. Jennifer talks to them regularly. You know, then maybe we could come and say, hey, we know it's a lot of work, but here's some of what we're feeling from our group. Do you see how that's different than bang, bang, bang? So as a group, what if we look different? What if we worked together? What if every one of us was accountable? What if, what if we did try as a family to speak as a voice rather than as individuals when it came to us as a group? And then certainly, certainly as individuals, imagine if we were people as Christians. What if we were quick to ask for feedback for our own lives? What if we were quick to say, you know, if you have something, would you please tell me? And we were gracious when they actually did. Because there's that piece. What if we were quick to get feedback, but what if we were very slow, very slow to judge other people? What if our Facebook posts weren't filled with slams? What if people never, oh, this would be so great. What if people never walked in on a conversation that we were having and we were talking negatively about someone who wasn't there? Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the case? What if we were especially slow to form opinions in areas where it's not our job to judge? What if we were very respectful when we went to our supervisors, when we went to our teachers, when we went to our coaches, and we just came and said, you know, in a humble heart, hey, I have this thought. You know, you might have already thought of this, but could I share that with you? And what if then, in response, our teachers, our coaches, our bosses, what if when they saw our email, they didn't cringe and go, oh, no, it's that person. Here we go again. And yet, with all those things being true, what if we cared enough when it mattered to speak the truth in love? What if we were able to do that too? And here's the beautiful thing as we come to a close here today. God wants to help us with that. He's not out there saying, hey, you get this right. He wants to help. And he's the best positioned being in all the universe to do so. For a lot of reasons, but respect to today, he's the ultimate outsider, he's the ultimate insider. Nobody sees the big picture better than God. Here's one example among many from the scriptures. This is, if we believe the Bible to be true, then this is what we believe about our God. Romans eleven thirty three. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For to him, from him, through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If anyone has ever been equipped to be able to be an outsider, to speak in, to say, hey, I know what it's like. Let me tell you what, how to respond. It's God. He gets it. And he's given us his written word and he wants us to send his spirit. But he's not just the ultimate outsider. He's the ultimate insider. Here's why a doctrine like the Trinity matters when we believe he's one God in three persons. Because he's been there. He gets what it's like. This is out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. He doesn't just sit off as a distance. He's not just the Almighty who, who doesn't understand what it's like to be one of us. Since then, we have this great high priest, and they're talking about Jesus, who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize in our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, who is yet without sin. Let us then, because he gets it, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. God gets it. He knows all that can be known, and he knows your situation. He's been there. He's been there. So as we close today, would you please stand, and I want to pray that we would dedicate ourselves to, uh, to seeking his wisdom through his written word and asking for his spirit. Let's, let's pray. And as, as we're standing here, I want to let you know, too, that it was mentioned earlier, we do have a group that will pray with you about anything. Even if you've got some unresolved conflicts from your high school years with your uh, job, uh, they'll, they'd love to pray with you They're right over there up to the side. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough. Thank you that you love us enough to speak into our lives. Thank you that you care enough to not just let us wander aimlessly and then judge us in the end, but, but you're giving us every chance here, Father, to come to you, to, to see things the way you see things and, and to respond accordingly. So, Lord, would you, would you help us? Would you help us to be drawn into your word, to, to search out and to wrestle with these teachings and, and to try to, to apply them to our lives, both learning from the bad examples we see in the scriptures and to learning from the good examples, to, to just embracing these imperatives. And, Lord, we pray that we would also seek your spirit. We thank you, God, that you want to give us the gift of your spirit, that you want to give us new minds and new hearts, minds that can see things the way that, that Christ saw things, a heart that, that beats in time with your own. So, Father, we, we pray that as we go forth, you'd bless us like that, God. Draw us into your word. Help us to seek a, a deeper filling of your spirit. And, Father, before I say amen, before we say amen, um, those of us who are, are close to the people at Emmanuel Children's Home, we, we, we just ask, Father, that you, as the all-seeing person, Father, that, that you will continue to protect them in the wake of the recent developments with um, Chapo Guzman getting uh, apprehended. Father, all we know is enough to know that there's got to be more to the story than that. And, Father, we pray that um, there won't be a vacuum in which chaos re-erupts in Juarez. Father, we pray that if this is some kind of setup or, or this is some sort of actual protection keeping him out of justice, Father, we, we, we pray that your good and perfect will will be done. And we know that you care for those widows and orphans. We know that you are at work in that, that troubled city. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to continue to work. Greater is you who is in us than he who is in the world. So, Lord, we pray for your, your church to continue to arise. We pray for you to, to break hearts of stone. 
we pray for your good and perfect will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.